Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. Hi everyone, Benjamin here. Because this is the second part of a two-part episode, we recorded this a couple of weeks ago, but earlier this week we all got the news of the horrific events in Orlando, Florida, when 49 people were killed and 53 people were injured at the gay nightclub Pulse. We didn't want to release an episode this week without acknowledging what happened, so before the episode gets started in a moment, we wanted to say that our thoughts are with queer communities around the world, particularly queer Latino communities who have been affected by what happened in Orlando. So please look after each other. It's the 1st of June, 2016. I'm Simon Copland. I'm Benjamin Riley, and it is clearly not the 1st of June, 2016. I mean, it is because we're recording it on the 1st of June, but you will probably be listening to it um, a week or two after that. Uh, as we discussed on the last episode, this is uh, part two of a two-part um, discussion that we're having. So we're just kind of recording the whole thing in one go, and uh, but releasing it as part of the normal schedule. Uh, so that being said... Simon. Uh, welcome to Queers. Uh, so each episode we talk our way through questions on a theme. And as Ben said, today is part two of a joint episode talking about queer role models and today what queer politics actually is. Um, so uh, as we said last time, we've tried to make these two episodes uh uh, so that you can listen to them separately and they'll still make sense, but they're also very much two sides of one overarching topic. So last time we uh, launched our conversation um, talking about Kate McGregor, a high-profile trans woman who's come out in opposition to uh, Safe Schools, uh, an LGBTIQ support program. We talked about what it means to have queer role models even if their politics don't align with our own. Uh, this week we want to build on that discussion. Uh, we think this issue goes much beyond questioning how we deal with our role models, uh, but goes to the very question of what is the very point of an LGBTIQ movement or an LGBTIQ community. Ever increasingly, our queer movement and community is based upon unique identities. Our collective voice is more and more about our sexual and gender identities uh, rather than our political voice. Of course, this has always been true to some extent, um, but as significant reforms have been won in many ways, queers have been able to diversify politically. Uh, with our basic existence being supported by people across the political spectrum, uh, we've been able to ver- diversify ourselves. Our collective identity, identity is more and more based solely on who we love, uh, as you would hear in a lot of the mainstream discussion, and less on the struggle we are fighting together. Kate McGregor, the original topic of this podcast, is a great example of this. Uh, an almost self-appointed trans spokesperson, uh, McGregor is far more conservative than many would expect from the queer movement. In turn, she has received significant criticism from other members of our community. But this opens up significant questions. Uh, is her voice less valuable, or does she represent a new cohort that is more diverse from the original, more radical queers of the 70s and 60s? Uh, does this represent a loss for our community, or is our political diversity actually a sign of success? And most of all, and this is the question I want to pose to you, uh, Ben, to start off with, 
are our sexual and gender identities enough of a reason to keep us together anymore? This is a very difficult question uh, and kind of opens up this whole topic in one go in some ways. Um, how I wanted to start it. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It's, uh, it keeps me on my toes. Um, I guess the very short answer is I don't have any idea. I, um, uh, part of me wants to just say no, because we can already see that that's true. Different parts of existing queer communities don't have shared goals of any kind, let alone shared, um, communities, shared experiences, although, you know, maybe that's kind of an interesting question. And and with the kind of fracturing of queer identities, which, you know, we can see in things like the kind of LGBTI acronym, um, it, it seems evident that that is, to a significant extent, um, not true, that our, that our sexual and gender identities are not enough to keep us together anymore. And yet, we still define ourselves by them in in some ways more than ever. Um, And we we still uh, have, I mean, there is still notionally a gay community or something that that describes itself as a gay community. I think it's an interesting and challenging question to say whether the thing that calls itself a gay community is actually a community in in any real sense. But the fact that we can even define things in these ways um, indicates that it's still important to a lot of people. We talked in the last episode, for example, about representation and that's uh, and how important that is to a lot of people. So clearly, clearly it's important. I mean, I guess maybe at the heart of this question is what does it mean to say keep us together? You know, mm. and 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 maybe that's the bit I'm kind of struggling with. What what do you think? Oh, this yeah. I, even though I even though I wrote some of these questions, um, <laughs> I I don't know some of the answers to them, um, and I don't think anyone does. I think, you know, the way I was thinking about this historically is that in the past, um, and 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 it's important to I guess to note that there was huge, you know, there's diversity within you know past movements, and it's not a you know gay communities were not a homogenous blob, uh, even if we think about them in that way, but. At least I think that there were more shared common goals um, than we may have now. So often, uh, so the decriminalisation of homosexuality being a very key one, uh, and then uh, for gay men in particular, the fight against HIV/AIDS in the 80s created a greater shared common goal, sense of shared common goals. Uh, however, even then there was fracturing, and and you know I think about the big splits between. Uh, lesbian women and gay men in the uh, in the 60s and 70s around the gay liberation front, um, which you know which eventually resulted in that organisation collapsing. GLF, Gay Liberation Front. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you know those sorts of things have have happened all the time. Uh, and the you know the very concept of sexuality as being something to uh, to coalesce around has been difficult because it's based on an identity uh, and not so much on a political program to an extent. Mm. I mean, I just want to say quickly as well, and we've we've I think we've made this exact point before talking about gay liberation in particular. That that's an interesting example of of something where. Um, 
you know, it's important to remember that gay liberation was a political movement, not a political, uh, sorry, not a, an identity. Um, mm, and that mm, even mm. then and before then, there were uh, conservative gay men, uh, a significant proportion of them who, who didn't define themselves as part of um, gay liberation and in fact stood in opposition to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, but what I think I was getting at there is there were lots of issues within the within uh, the gay liberation movement around sexism in particular mm, uh, that mm. resulted in big in in big splits from uh, from lesbian women who created their own organisations and and created sort of um, feminist lesbian uh, le- lesbian feminism. Got the two words the wrong way around. Uh, which um, which 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 has major implications still to this day. You know those splits are still very important uh, in our politics today. Um, and I guess what what I was trying to get there is that yes, gay liberation was a political movement, um, but it had its issues uh, within. The identity, you know, the issues that that, it, that developed from it came from a whole bunch of identity politics and identity-related issues that created huge splits, and 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 rightfully so in many ways. Um, but those sorts of splits that we saw then are still happening today, uh, and that fracturing of identities uh, is so common uh, and such a huge part of our community the focus on identity and the focus on what what it you know what it means to be gay but then also this increasing diversity of identification and how those work together and together and against each other is creating all of this very very difficult um stuff that i think detracts from political programs that used to be greater part of our you know that used to be the thing that got us together um at the moment we're speaking spending a lot of time talking about our identities and very little time talking about what are our political programs or things we want to achieve uh and what are we fighting for so much Mm. um and whether that means you know going back to that big question of whether it means you know that our gender and sexuality can't keep us together anymore i i don't know i don't know i mean i think about i i mean i don't know about that the kind of uh this idea that we don't talk about political programs. I feel like mm. the topic we talked about last time about Kate McGregor is like a perfect example of this, that increasingly, I mean, maybe this is the kind of good thing about these discussions around people like Kate McGregor and Caitlyn Jenner, who also came up last time, um, is that it really does bring these things to the to the forefront. I mean, those are two instances where we have been explicitly talking about in queer communities other kinds of politics, um, I, I, I guess, more traditional kind of left-right uh, politics, you know, whatever, mm, that, mm. whatever that means. I mean, is a are we just going to get to the point where we have to think of these things as completely separate, where we kind of go, it's not that queer politics is not a thing, it is. It's just that it's a different thing to say... Um, I, I don't even know what you what you would call it. Say like how you'd vote in an election, or um, I guess yeah, capital P kind of traditional politics. politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it different? So, so you mean does our uh, community fighting for particular programs or rights or legislation is that different to the sort of big P politics that that you know and does this sort of queer politics potentially cross across go across all of those that big P politics in some ways and some people I, would argue it would I mean I suppose I'm a, I suppose I'm I mean I would argue I, I would argue that it does but uh I suppose I'm saying more it's more an observational question do you think that that's where 
these discussions will lead us. Not you and me. I mean, the kind of public discussions around people like, um, like Kate McGregor. Will it? Sorry, will it lead us into a sort of politics space, big P politics space? No, no. I, I well, yeah, well, lead us sorry, away from a split. That. Lead us to a split, I guess, where people sort of feel comfortable about um, expressing that, uh, yeah, that that distinction, and that that's fine. Yeah, maybe, and maybe maybe that's where it's where it is heading, and that and that sort of. Uh, I think we spoke briefly about, you know, there being a broad, I guess, acceptance um, across the political spectrum from left to right now of at least the existence of of gay people and increasingly of trans people. Uh, And despite some very hard right opposition, you know, uh, hard right positions on that. And, you know, are are there positions, uh, is, is our community sort of becoming you know those things just become you know a, a question of of programs that can help people with with uh things like bullying or coming out or feeling you know having equal access to rights and the other politics the the sort of the big questions that gay liberation was asking us uh, you know in the 60s and 70s is that actually no longer almost almost no longer queer politics but it falls back into the big p politics and fits more into that left right divide mm. so you have a queer community that's more focused on the sort of equal rights legislation uh, and that can cross across political spectrums and the rest just go back into a sort of a different space that is not queer anymore even if some of the stuff is related to what used to be queer politics that's so interesting because it kind of um and and like a bit horrific i think because it kind of posits a future where with the exception of criminalization uh and and those sorts of um uh, rights-based issues that we've we've uh, criminalization is the wrong word rights-based politics that we've talked about uh it, it posits a future where queer politics or queer communities or whatever you want to call it, that separate thing is effectively service provision uh, mm, and mm. and leached of any um, political uh, status, which I think you're kind of starting to see already. I mean, if you look at um, community organisations, queer community organisations, I think you're really starting to see this split. And I think it's one that's, that is um, being in some ways engineered uh, between lobby groups and service-based organisations. So there are not-for-profits in queer communities that are there to um, help queers effectively. And then there are those who are there to uh, change the system through lobbying political parties. And I mean, it's funny. I mean, I guess that is evidence of, of that kind of a split and one that I think is worrying yeah, and maybe, and I can even see that in the uh, in the in what was sort of started this discussion last week uh, around safe schools, and a lot of the response to safe schools, even from people in the in the left, um, and a lot of the response to the attacks on that have been, in my view, uh, quite conservative, in that they're focused on uh, bullying and they're focused heavily on this idea of deaths of queer kids. They know that you know this is about stopping bullying so kids don't need to so, so kids aren't committing suicide as much and they're they're facing you know a whole lot it's kind of like a service precision t- type thing mm. um and that stuff is really really important you know and i want to make that very clear um but at the same time you know a lot of the attacks from the right has been that it's you know this sort of marxist re-education program and it's about challenging our ideas of gender and sexuality and opening up kids to these ideas of gender and sexuality you know at an earlier age so they can think about it you know and you know it's been a lot of scaring around that um but you've seen very few 
people um, who have got up and said, actually, that's a good thing. You know, the totally. idea that we could challenge gender stereotypes at the starting point is a good thing. And that's a really... Uh, what used to be a very queer political agenda saying, let's challenge the norms of sexuality really strongly. Let's challenge the norms of gender very strongly. And I think you're losing that um, in, direct, in the direction of a sort of service provision. Let's stop deaths for queer kids so that they can grow up and be happy, you know, in, in whatever their identity is. But, you know, those sorts of bigger challenges, the idea that we can challenge these things and we can challenge them at an early age and that's a really valuable thing to do is, is, is not on our radar really at the moment. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't think it's too far gone. I think that people are being very, I mean, I don't want to get too bogged down in, in, in the, the kind of news around safe schools, but uh, I think people are being very careful about language for obvious mm, mm. reasons but i i certainly don't think um yeah I, I i don't think views are as as widely conservative despite that that oh yeah language. sorry sorry I, i'm not saying that views are as widely conservative i think that what i was trying to get is that the uh the response has been not as radical as you may have expected in, in sure previous... sure yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean because it's uh, the challenge here is i mean that or the ridiculous thing here is is not that it's it's not to argue i would never sit here and argue that we need both of those things it's that they are the same thing i mean mm, you know it's kind mm. of a um like it's a ridiculous it's why the game mcgregor thing is so weird because um you know like the anti you can't say that an anti-bullying program is not about changing behavior changing behavior is about changing society you know yeah like absolutely, it's, it's so absolutely. it's so straightforward um, but that a future where that split is really definitive, both in terms of what our organizations look like and how we express our views is so imaginable. And that's kind of what makes this weird and scary. Yeah. 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 And I think it goes, I don't know, I'm thinking a bit, a bit about the split in identities as well and the way that that has operated. And I think, you know, and you know, we, we, we talk about identity politics quite a bit in this podcast um, for uh, relevant reasons. Um, we, probably do it, pro we probably do it too much without actually defining what we mean when we talk about it as well. Oh, yeah. Do you <laughs> want to try that? Oh, it's, it's like trying to define neoliberalism or something. I mean, I would just say it's, I would just say it's a kind of a politics that is uh, focused on um, political outcomes being linked to an individual's stated identity. Mm -hmm. Um rather than their shared experience or a desire to kind of change experiences. It's about recognizing diversity rather than transforming things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think uh, what, uh, going back to this sort of question about whether our gender and sexuality can keep us together, wh what you're seeing with a focus on identity politics is... Um, because it's not it's not focused on that shared experience, um, you're seeing a fracturing of the very nature of the community that we had in the first place. Um, and 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 I've spoken, you know, I think you and I have had these sorts of uh, rants at each other a little bit. Um, but there's the the creation of the pure purer. I always struggle with that word. The more pure uh, identity, you know, the increasingly more pure. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Your identity, the one who is discriminated against the most or he's, you know, the most, you know, uh, vulnerable and seen, therefore, as the, the needing to have the greater voice, et cetera, et cetera. And all, there's a lot of important stuff around creating voice for people in uh, marginalized communities. But what it's what it creates is an increasing fracturization of our of the community that used to, that existed a lot more. And of course, as I said before, this has happened in the past, um, but I think it's increasing even more. And I think, you know, even the debate around, you know, the uh, the LGBTIQ acronym and the demands of increasingly adding letters to it uh, is a good, experience, a good example of that where, you know, you know, absolutely there are a whole bunch of people who feel marginalised because their identity is not... Um, place into the acronym uh and but at the same time if we were to have more of a focus on our shared experiences those sorts of things would matter less and we'd be able to create common language that could connect us all together rather than focusing on more and more minute identities for sure Um, because the thing about like having that sort of approach that fractured approach you know more letters on the on the acronym it basically presents the problem as being simply one of recognition you know mm. that that if you can be named and if you can be seen, then everything is better. Um, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. A, 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 I guess a very, uh, it's so limiting, you know, and and it's so because it's so achievable, you know, you can, I mean, it's achievable in the short term. You can just kind of add more letters to the acronym and and make people feel better, but you know, does anything change beyond that? I, yeah, I, and I think so. you see a lot of this focus in. In the queer, in the queer community, whatever that is, but you know, I think about uh, gay press, for example, um, and there is a lot of focus on um, representation in TV, for example. Or in the last podcast, we talked about representation in sport, or uh, representation as being the you know a big thing. And every time a new person comes out as gay, we get you know, headlines about blah, blah, being gay and everyone's woo and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and, you know, amazing that that's happening. And we talked about political representation of, you know, isn't it great that we got a gay MP and isn't it that sort of stuff really great? Um, and what you're likely to see, I think, is an increasing... And what we are seeing is increasing demands for that sort of representation um, being spread to bigger and to, to more and more groups. Um, so it started with gay men and now, you know, the, the you know demands for lesbian women and trans people and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and less of a focus on the the shared experiences of those people and and the political struggles that we still have collectively that need to be addressed, um, I think is a is is a worrying thing in my mind. Mm. And I also want to make the the brief um, aside, and it's one that I've made before. I am very acutely aware of the uh, frustration I can imagine people having of, of the fact that you and I as uh, mm, white mm. gay men are, are, are saying this when we are people who's who are really represented. You know, it's, kind yeah, of, it's easy to make these arguments from, from inside the tent, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, and... and all I can say is that we try very hard to be we try very hard to be aware of that and, and hopefully that that makes some sort of a difference. Um, 
I, I'm interested in uh, just, you know, we sort of talked about, we before we started recording, we, we talked about what we wanted to kind of get at in, in this podcast because it is such a big... Um, a big question. And I, I, I think about the stuff we talked about last time about Kate McGregor. And I think that a really interesting question to ask is, um, does an increasing diversity of political positions within uh, queer communities represent a, a victory for how far these, our politics have come? Or is it uh, a, a failure, which is, I guess, the implication of a lot of what we're saying? Mm. And it's a really valuable question, and I think it would depend on your perspective. Um, and you know, and that's natural, I guess. If you are someone who is a conservative queer, then you know, having people like Kate McGregor would be an excellent um, thing. Um, I perspect my perspective is it is a failure. Um, I, you know, I think it's you know we've we've spoken about there's always been conservative queer people, and that's 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 not. Uh, that's not unheard of, uh, and it's been going on for you know that, that, those people you know we've not always been on the left you know and uh, you know where you and I would sit in the political spectrum. I think the failure has been, from my perspective, is not necessarily the the existence of queer conservative people. That's great. That's the kind of positions <laughs> they want to have. We're okay it's with how... you existing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's how that gets represented in. In, in our movement and what that what that actually means mm. and, and in the political struggles and demands that we have. And it goes back to this point we had before where uh, the movement has become more focused on things like service provision um, or uh, sort of more mainstream campaigns like same-sex marriage. And, you know, it's, it's amazing that this is the first time I've brought this up in this podcast. Um, <laughs> Um, when some of the more radical demands that, that, that I have an interest in... Um, uh, uh, are, are not touched on as much and that used to have a greater prominence. And so the things about, you know, challenging the very nature of sexual identity or gender are, are disappearing, but also a lot of the material demands that we used to have, um, you know, the, the stuff around housing and the importance of housing for queer mm. communities, the stuff around, uh, you know, we talk about mental health, but the stuff around healthcare provision, um, and you see this a lot in the US, for example, around the debate around same-sex uh, around same sex marriage there, where a lot of it was like, we really need same-sex marriage so we can visit our partners in hospital. Uh, and then there were a lot of poor queer people saying, I can't even get health insurance. I can't even get into hospital. Hospital, that is far more important to me. Mm. Um, and a lot of those debates have been pushed aside because of a focus on representation, because our community has become so diverse, or at least our movement has become so politically diverse, it's been hard. Our, our demands have had to narrow and narrow down. And it's also worth ways. saying that the, uh, the even though we do talk about mental health, uh, we talk about it in, in quite a particular way, you know, being that the, like, either as a really sort of, um, uh, the only way that we link positive mental health outcomes to transformative politics are through things like representation and, and same-sex marriage, um, mm. you know, by saying that uh, queers won't be so depressed if they see themselves on TV um, rather than perhaps uh, linking mental health outcomes and mental health determinants to kind of broader social issues. And yep, so, yep. so I think... That you know, we do talk about it, but I, I don't think we talk about it in a way that is ideal. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think you know, I think this just kind of leads us again and again back to that just central question of like maybe we just want different things. I mean, what is the I'm, you know I'm being a bit kind of devil's advocate here, but like what's the point of even you, you talk about the failure of the movement? Um, 
maybe it's a fair thing to say, well, maybe the movement isn't what you think it is. Well, uh, I don't think the movement is what I think it is, or it's not. It's definitely not what I want it to be. Sure, um, but I guess and... I'm, I guess my question is, what, why does that, why does that matter? Why can't you and I do our own thing, and other people can do other queers can do their own thing? Well, I think we can, and I think that's that maybe is the difficulty of this whole point is that I think we can. Um, but we don't, or at least we don't try to in many ways. And, you know, or, you know, maybe you and I might try to, but I think that we are still perceived or there is still a general, you know, my reading of the way people, um, people who are queer in some form see the, the community is it's, it's still perceived as a whole. Um, and there may be a need and sorry, they're still perceived as a whole, um, and where it's not perceived as a whole, it's 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 often focused around identity. That you know, mm. uh, trans people rightfully saying, for example, that the issues of trans people are different to the issues of gay men, and lesbian women saying the issues of lesbian women are different to the issues of gay men. But we very rarely um, split, or at least my experience is that we very rarely also go. Actually, sometimes we have different politics, and sometimes we need to think about that, and we need to accept the difference in politics as well well as the difference in identity and that sometimes a radical trans person or a radical uh, lesbian, a radical left-wing lesbian may share a lot more with me than they might with someone like Kate McGregor, even if their identity, their their gender identity is very similar. Mm. Now, if someone like trans people might completely disagree with me on that. Uh, and, you know, as, I, as we said before, I'm not a trans person, so I can't speak for trans people. But the the acceptance that our diversity goes beyond our identities um, is something that we need to accept and we in, and we may have a better sense of being able to do things differently if we were to if we were to accept that to an extent but I wonder whether even that framing of like sometimes we overlap in terms of identity and sometimes we overlap in terms of politics still separates the two things out and mm-hmm. I, I had, so I, I had a bit of a, a thought experiment that I wanted to try. <laughs> um, you know, I guess all of our questions are thought experiments to some degree, but um, to, to kind of imagine a situation where we can try to break that down a bit. If we, so say we like pretend that identity politics don't exist um, and that we, we are not sort of standing around talking about our, our experiences in terms of like, I'm gay, I'm trans, I'm bi, whatever. Um can we point to experiences, so not identities, but experiences shared by queers broadly or by subsets of, of people in, in queer communities, by gay men, for example? Um, it's probably an easy place to go to since that's what you and I are, um, that are inherently political experiences. So to try to think of examples where it's it's actually kind of impossible to separate the two things to separate the personal from the political. I've kind of I'm looking at my notes where I've got I got a bit ranty. Um, you know <laughs> the, the whole the you know the the, um, the quote the personal is the political was like the the kind of driving um, idea behind a lot of second wave feminism and and that uh, the way I feel like the way we're talking about this and the way this is often talked about isn't that at all. Mm. So can we, or, you know, do we have a shared experience? Um, yeah, I think we do. And I think that um, and maybe this contradicts a bunch of what I've just said. I don't know. 
but I'm I'm sort of thinking about this as, as we're going along. I think, from my perspective, we do have shared experiences of oppression um, that still exist. Um, I think particular subsets of people can get out of those shared experiences, particularly if you are someone who managed to be of a higher class and have that have that capacity. But as a as a whole, there is still a level of institutional oppression against queer people for particular reasons that exist. Um, Give me an example of, of something that is like, not an abstract one, there's some, something that's like, that all, say, gay men experience, regardless of, say, class. Well, like the simple, maybe the simplest one, and, and I know you have lots of feelings about this, uh, would be the very need to come out or the mm, very difference, mm. the very difference that is created um, by being homosexual, homosexual or being trans, uh, the very sort of, um, uh, the opposition to being the being the opposition of the norm uh, and being still seen as different, uh, and that exists very strongly. And I hear lots of people say, you know, we won't have true true equality until gay people don't need to come out anymore. Um, and but that that is still an experience that we all have that is very very strongly linked to being queer in some form, um, and I think it, that exists across all of the different um, identities to to one extent or another, uh, and and that has real effects on people's lives, uh, and that is because we still live in a world where being queer is being not normal or it's being the opposite to normal, and be, you know you, you, there is a whole story uh, that you, we, that we all learn that tells us that we're going to, you know, when you're a kid, you sort of get told the story of being, you know, falling in love and marrying the the, the opposite gender person of your dreams and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and the queer person is the is the abnormal to that. Um, mm. And that is an experience we all have, definitely. Um, and, uh, but, yeah. I agree. I think I think coming out is a great example. And it's, it's one of the, it's one of very few that I think about. I've, I've been, I've been trying to, come up with other examples and I think a lot of it is like um, if I think about imagined sort of antidotes to identity politics uh, I often just think about like body stuff you know that it's kind of really hard to get away from shared um, bodily experiences that we have Mm -hmm. Uh, and a friend of mine was actually teasing me recently that like everything, all the queer stuff I write is just about like body bodies. Um, so <laughs> apparently that's just an obsession of mine, but, um, I was thinking about, and I've, I've written about this just in the past week or so about like shame, um, and experiences of internalized homophobia, even if we might yep. not recognize yep. it as such, um, is, is a really, uh, a, a thing that's very common to, to gay men and, and has clear, um, political implications, I guess, for the need to kind of try to overcome that. Another one I was thinking about, uh, you know, I work in the HIV sector and have kind of written about HIV for a long time, is like HIV anxiety is yeah, absolutely. for gay men of a certain age a very, very common experience that that kind of puts a, like really, um, you know, colours sex in a really broad way and and god i mean fuck that's we don't really talk about that very much and that's another thing that has really clear political implications i mean finally just even i'm kind of pulling this out of my ass now but you know i've been thinking about like uh prep i don't know if people know uh much about it. it's pre-exposure prophylaxis it's basically the idea where you take hiv medication when you're uh hiv negative and it can um prevent you becoming hiv positive even if you're exposed to the virus and I feel like that's a really interesting example of where a shared bodily experience, if you take away the kind of um, uh, public health 
element of it or the kind of epidemiological element of HIV, the shared bodily experience of HIV anxiety around sex has, I think, led us to this political outcome of of collectively fighting for access to PrEP in this country, which is, yep, yep, absolutely. for me, a really kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, obviously it's about preventing HIV, but it, it's, it is also about addressing that anxiety. And, mm. and, I... and, and once again, it's become a, you know, it's become a major issue in terms of the state support of health programs for, for gay men in that the, the, um, the acceptance of that drug and the well, I've just gone blank with my words. The um, the approval of that drug has taken a very long time mm. in Australia compared to other places, and it highlights a level of you know to me it highlights a level of discrimination and oppression that still exists, a, a, an institutional oppression that still exists towards gay men um, that still impacts every gay man. Mm. Uh, and I think you can find examples of this across both individual groups like gay men, um, but across the broader um, queer spectrum. And you know, and coming out coming out as a perfect example of something that affects every queer person, um, and still does in a really major, major ways. Um, and there is still a very, very political issue that needs to that needs a political movement to to to, to deal with it. Um, and the fracturization of identities, I think, is losing to an extent is losing that political movement and it's why some of these issues are not being spoken about and not being dealt with as much anymore Mm. but i mean they also the very existence of those issues kind of gives me hope as well and i look at Mm. i look at particularly political organizing about around prep and it's been like fucking amazing there have been like grassroots community organizations that have sprung up to like help gay men access these drugs in ways that are kind of not the normal way they're not illegal but they're not the ways that people normally access medications in australia and mm. and so uh, i don't know as depressing as all of this stuff can be to talk about uh, and 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 it can feel like we're going in a direction that that makes it harder to to organize collectively around political desired political outcomes there are it is in focusing on those issues i think that we can that we can find a way forward absolutely and i think that might be an excellent place for us to end uh, and uh, I guess we hope you've enjoyed this two-part series, and I hope you've understood why we did this in a two-part way, and I've, I've really enjoyed it. I think it's been great fun. Mm. Um, and we'll be back, uh, I guess, in a couple of weeks with a completely new topic. I mean, not, not that we have a really new, completely new topic, so I'm sure it'll be all... <laughs> we, you know, it'll all be interconnected, and it, one day we're going to... Indeed, it's all it's part of our master plan. <laughs> it's not at all. Um, in the meantime, you can catch us on uh, queers.podomatic.com or subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, if you're there, as always, leave us a review and a rating. It's great. I mean, you know, ideally a good one. Um, it's, it really helps us out uh, and helps other people find us on the iTunes store. If you've gotten to episode 11 and you're still listening, hopefully you think we're good, so you'll leave us a good rating. So, you know, <laughs> Most people like hate, hate listening to the podcast. <laughs> You know, Corey Bernardi, hate listening to our podcast. I'd be flattered, Simon. (laughs) So would I, so would I. Um, Well, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Simon Copland. And I'm at Ben C. Riley. Uh, And that's all for today, and we will see you next time. Spring. 
spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 